0: Robin Kramer has the industry experience and unique ability to look at an artist's work and recommend practical steps they can take to improve their business. She started Red Boot Consulting in 2010 and co-founded Flourish and Thrive Academy for jewelry designers in 2012. In this conversation, Robin and I talk about mentoring and being mentored, along with tips for growing your business. Hey, Robin, I'm so glad to have you here today. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for asking. I'm thrilled to be here. Of course. Well, you know, we've caught
0: up lots of different times at industry events, and you've been here to the town where I live in Arizona, and we got to catch up. But I like being able to share these kinds of conversations with everybody else because we always end up talking about work and life, and it's always good.
1: It is always good. And I can't wait to share with your audience some little nuggets of information I've learned over the years.
0: Well, I know you have a lot of nuggets, so
1: (laughs) this could take a while, everybody.
0: Well, I know one of the big things you've worked with a lot of different corporations to help hone their brand and customer service. One of your big successes so far has been with DogEared. So let's start with that.
1: All right. Well, happy to. I actually, um, DogEared brought me in there. At the time, they were a 14 year old company, and I was their first sales director. So they brought me on board because they really wanted to expand and grow their brand. And they decided to no longer have rep groups. They only kept one rep group out of probably about eight. And so they let all the rest of the rep group go before, besides one. And they brought me in and they said, okay, we're ready. We're ready to grow grow us. (laughs) I was like, all right. So we came up with a plan. And what was really exciting is that working with, they had a new operations director too, who oversaw production operations and working together, we actually grew their sales by over 800% in the five years I was there. It's and amazing. It was, it was a crazy ride. It was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. What was something that you learned from? I mean, I imagine that was a pretty fast and furious five years. They go; it, it goes by in a blink of an eye.
1: In a total blink. And when I went to work, th- when I started there, we were in these like little bungalow apartments. So Venice Beach, it was crazy, and um, they were not meant for computers. And so it was inevitable that we would blow fuses and um, doors would come off hinges and all sorts of crazy things would happen. So they bought a building within the first year I was there and then ended up owning two buildings. And we had over a hundred people. Well, I think it was exactly a hundred that we had brought into production because they were producing everything there. The biggest thing was the communication part, because if you, you're not communicating, if sales isn't communicating with operations and production, things can go askew. (laughs) And it was through um, some trial and error that happened that uh, we really had to have regular meetings and to, to really work as partners in growing the business. Because if something wasn't like, for example, I had worked and gotten a Nordstrom account. It was the first ever Nordstrom account. We were going to all doors, and someone neglected to order boxes. Um, and it just happens. Things like that happen. And Nordstrom's ha- needed to have every product boxed. And so these were gift boxes. Well, things like that happen. So it was my job to go and talk to the buyer at Nordstrom and let her know about this. But I can tell you again, I can tell you that we never let that happen ever again, because right. it really delayed things. It delayed our shipping. It really brought the operations director and myself together more as, as a team. Um, so things like that were really fun to learn.
0: <laughs> well, it seems like you are, you're often finding yourself in the position of helping people through growing pains. And it sounds like that was one where it was like a turning point for them of like, we'll never forget about boxes again. I'm sure there were tons of different things like that that came up. Do you feel like there's something that people who want to change their businesses from just being, not just, but starting out a lot of people, a lot of jewelry artists are doing fairs and they're doing person direct to, to their market. You know, they're doing their sales direct. So do you think that there's a time when something they need to consider really besides communications you mentioned, but is there something else that they have to think about as, okay, I'm ready to grow. Here's one thing I really need to do to be able to launch myself into that new market.
1: Yes. I think being, um, being really prepared and there is so much good information out there. We have Back in my day, <laughs> we didn't have the resources that we have now, and there are so many great courses and classes and programs and and opportunity to learn. And I would encourage anybody in the arts to to learn, to go out there and invest in your education, not just in how to make the product, but in the business side of things, um, and also to. Have systems in your business, even if it's just you, because if you're making, um, let's say you're making a piece of jewelry, even though you know how to make it, write a recipe for it. Make sure you have a system and process for it. And the same thing with packaging it and shipping it, because as you grow, you're going to have, uh, hopefully to bring in somebody to help you. And to have those systems in place as you're growing and doing them one at a time, uh, instead of having a full collection and having to go back and do recipes for each piece um, can be kind of daunting. So if you can start off on the right foot and have starting starting to put processes and systems in place, it, it will save you so much time and money and really set yourself, your business up for success.
0: I would consider that sort of the eat your vegetables portion of doing jewelry arts, you know? Because I think almost everyone thinks that doing the jewelry part is the fun part. And then doing the business part isn't the fun part, but we realize we need to do it to be healthy. So I do love vegetables. That is such a good
1: way to do it. Yes.
0: But you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like um eating your vegetables, it's like building, you know, if you're going to you can't go out and run a marathon. But if you if you um practice and you put, you know, do the right things, you can get the conditioning up to do that. It's kind of what you would be doing for your business. You're conditioning your business to grow.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of if we're going to use the same analogy, people often hire like a fitness coach to help them get ready for a marathon, it makes perfect sense to find somebody to help mentor you in your business. Have you had, you are in the position now of mentoring lots of jewelry artists, but did you have people who are mentoring you along the way?
1: Yes. And I still do. <laughs> I believe yeah. in, I absolutely believe in coaches and mastermind groups and, in being in a supportive environment. A lot of times creatives are solopreneurs. They're, they're at their studio, they're by themselves, and they they don't have anybody to bounce I- ideas off of or to challenge them in, if this is the right path or just as simple as like, does does this make sense? I've written this email. Does it make sense? It's great to have somebody to bounce those things off of. So I do, I highly recommend having a coach or a mastermind group You know, in fact, I'm getting together with my mastermind group this coming weekend. Yeah.
0: How long have you been in your own mastermind group?
1: Oh, gosh, I I have been in uh, working with a coach or in a mastermind group, gosh, ever since well before I went started my own consulting business. Uh, I had a group that I met with and it really helped me move into the consulting realm Uh, I don't think I would have left my job otherwise, (laughs) but with their encouragement and their support, it really was what I needed to move forward in just my growth as an individual.
0: I could see that being really important. I had been in several mastermind groups, both formal and informal over the years, and it really does help because everybody has a different area of focus so it's good to be able to go to that person in your group and say, oh, I really am working on my logo. What do you think of this? Or mm-hmm. my website or whatever it is.
1: And I like to say we're not all crazy on the same day, which is really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: true. I need a t-shirt with that on it, Robin.
1: <laughs> you got it. I'll, um, I'll, I'll send you <laughs> one. <laughs> well, when you see, um,
0: when you're helping people grow their businesses A lot of times they're moving in the wholesale direction. And that happens to be the area where you're very experienced. Do you see people is there like a light bulb moment or you see them growing in a certain way when they start selling wholesale? Besides the obvious production?
1: Yeah, you know, some people it it happens to them. Like they're they're selling and all of a sudden they're at a an art fair and buyer of a store comes up and says, I love your work, I want it in my store. And sometimes it happens that way. And other times, more often, it's a more thought out process where they're actually going after stores and and contacting them. But having it, you know, wholesale is uh, an animal all of its own. And to be prepared for it, you need the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing with Any designer is pricing their product appropriately and treating your business like a business. I see so many jewelers who are not charging enough to where they can actually have a life doing what they do. It can be a hobby, and that's fine if you want it to be a hobby. But if you want it to be a business, you have to really look at how you're pricing things and value your design aesthetic and value your time. Of how long it takes you to make the piece and and all of that. So I would say really being aware of your pricing before you get into wholesale, you should have know how to get to your wholesale price. And also, too, that the nurturing of your customer, it's not just selling to them and then leave it in then their court to follow up with you. You really need to follow up with them. And I always like to nurture them. Your wholesale counts should grow. Every year, at least 10%. So that means that you have to take the time to uh, make sure they're taken care of.
0: Do you think there's a perfect ratio of time spent making to time spent on the business side?
1: That is a really interesting
0: question. Maybe the answer is no. I don't know,
1: but I wish there was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think each designer is very unique. So Currently I'm working with a really more of a, um, art jeweler and her work is very time consuming. And so I I think that is such an interesting question because it really, it really does depend on the type of business they have. There is no cookie cutter, quite honestly, and when I'm working with somebody, my question is like, what does success mean to you? Because it's going to be different for everybody what their what their goals are are different. And for one designer, it might be, I want to work with five wholesale accounts because how long it takes me to make my piece, the price of my piece. So let's say they're making a piece of jewelry and it's five thousand um, dollars retail. So then you have to calculate like how many how many hours does it take and you know where you are and where you want to be in your business how much time do you want to work on producing and so there's a lot of factors to it as opposed to somebody who may be designing and then actually having it made possibly overseas or in a production house locally and then that frees them up to do other things in their business. So it really is each, each designer is unique in that way. So I would say it'd start with really looking at what they want and then, uh, determining how long uh, to spend on each area, but it should be at least kind of half and half. You can't do, you can't do your business without the business side of things. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of those relationships, especially for people who have sold direct to their their market before, going wholesale, I could see how that might be challenging because you're not getting that constant feedback from your uh, customers at market.
1: Absolutely. That feedback is invaluable. Um, If you are selling wholesale, you may be doing trade shows. You don't have to do a wholesale trade show in order to sell wholesale. But at a certain point, if you're trying to get into a, a large number of stores, it's actually to your benefit to do a trade show because many stores attend them. But it really is dependent on the designer and just kind of how they want to grow their their wholesale business.
0: And since you mentioned trade shows, I'll just ask you about that. <laughs> We've talked before about displays and creating kind of creating different unique ideas for ways to display your jewelry. But what do you think are some really important things to consider as you're building? First, let's assume that the person has done all of their homework. They know which trade show they want to go to. Now, how do they make it look the way they want to represent their brand?
1: I always like that's such a good question because trade shows. First of all, I love a good trade show. I know. Uh,
0: Those <laughs> I think aisles, walk that. Oh my gosh!
1: It's <laughs> like you know your product problem. heaven. It's so fun, and it's such good energy where you're seeing product and you're meeting people. And it's I, I just love them. In fact, I was in New York for the New York Now show. I also went to the Melee show. I just think people are excited to be back and to be touching and feeling product and seeing um, seeing designers. I think it's really important to map out what you want it to look like. The, the booth should be as if you're opening your own store. What would it look like? It needs to represent your brand. And to provide information, one of the biggest things I see is designers coming in and not putting anything on the walls or not showing their logo. I think it's really important and a missed opportunity if they don't do this to um, have their logo up, to have the images, especially jewelry tends to be rather small. And when you're walking down, a buyer's walking down an aisle, you want to capture their attention. So to have some images of the jewelry blown up and nicely displayed in your booth is is invaluable because it can really capture someone's attention from even across the, the room. And uh, being able to set something up prior, I always say do a mock booth and see how it feels, see how it works, see how it flows, making sure the collections look good, making sure you've got things labeled, making sure that when you look at your booth it you can tell it's yours. And to have it be very as I said, it's very shoppable.
0: Yeah, I think you want people to feel like they the booth is an extension of your work. So any way you can bring that across that makes, I mean, I think that's a, makes a big impact. And like you're saying, as people walk down the aisle, you want to catch their eye. Absolutely. And just along that same vein, you know, the holidays are coming up. People are going to be starting to have their online and in person promotions. What do you think people should do to really maximize on that right now?
1: one thing and and i want to just talk on the trade show for a minute because one of the things that i wanted to also mention which is also good for promotion is tell people what you do. So if you do ceramic uh you know porcelain jewelry say porcelain jewelry if you work in recycled sterling silver put up on the walls of your booth recycled sterling silver like and also it will save a buyer time because if you have a buyer, oh, and made where it's made, if it's made in the US, put you know, made in your studio and where it's located. Because if you have a buyer who's specifically looking, I want US made product, I want recycled, eco-friendly uh, or eco-conscious product, and that's really what I'm looking for, you have just saved them so much time. And you can also entice people in by, by doing that. The same thing with promotions that uh, let people know. I think sometimes we, we think we've said it all, <laughs> but really let your customer or potential customer know what you're doing. You know, Let them know specifically, what is this promotion? What do you want them to do if uh, you're doing some sort of raffle or some sort of game to tell them exactly what they need to do? In order to to get this particular promotion,
0: they shouldn't have to read it in the fine print. Yes, in the same way with your booth, or like you're saying, be really clear about what you do. Right in the in the name, or as a subhead, or whatever you want to call that tagline. It does raise up right away. What makes you special, and what makes your jewelry different? So maybe maybe every time. A person should always have a tagline that is calling out something that's special about their
1: work. It definitely helps.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's all about making a connection and people shouldn't have to fall in love with your jewelry first and then learn about it later. It's kind of like you're giving them a little breadcrumbs along the way to help them fall in love with it.
1: Yes, (laughs) everything is about connection, you know, and the, the more you can make a connection, the faster you can make in a connection, the the kind of launching of the relationship. And it may take sometimes years before somebody buys, but it doesn't mean they're not thinking of you. So you want to make sure they don't forget about you. I think it's really important to make that connection and then stay in their mind, either through an email or seeing them at a show or sending a postcard or picking up the phone and calling them and saying how lovely it was to meet them. You know, those things are really important with, with a business.
0: I think especially when it's something that's really crafted with a lot of soul, that's part of what people are connecting to when they buy it is a piece of that. And gosh, I can imagine a phone call would go a long way. Absolutely. That's a great idea. I know you've mentored a lot of jewelers to help establish their brands and increase their sales. And I know you like to keep it positive, but what's something that newbies always do that you want to be like,
1: no, don't do that. Mm. Um, well, I think there are a couple of things. One is not pricing correctly.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Price is really important. Trying to please. The second thing is trying to please everybody. Because never, you're never going to win. And when you try to please everyone, you please no one. So really being clear on who their dream client is. And uh, so when they know who their dream client is and when they market to that dream client, it just kind of uh, takes away all the noise. And it doesn't mean that other people can't buy from them. But it just helps with the clarity of the message that they are sending out. And I also think to, to not be distracted when something, when, you know, are disappointed. So let's say they reach out to a buyer and the buyer doesn't respond. I, I get this all the time. And they immediately start assuming that the buyer doesn't like their product or they're not interested. I was like, no, they just have a lot of other things that they're that's going on. And that's why it's important to... Do outreach in many different forms, and not just email.
0: what's another example? you wouldn't want to text them probably sending something in the mail or texting's okay.
1: You know, I think it's up to the 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 beautiful thing is you get to ask the customer what how they want to be contacted, and True. some people just say, "Oh, text me, I can't do my email is too full and I love sending something in the mail. I think in today's world, we rarely get something lovely in the mail. So sending a nice note, sending a postcard is really great. Sending a brochure. I do think people rely way too much on email. I do think you have to do all of the things. It's not just one, but even if you send an email and in the the, the customer will see it's from you. They may not open it, but then they see your name or they see your brand name. And there's something really um, important about that because it's just brand recognition. In fact, I had a designer who was emailing a buyer at Free People and she really wanted to get into the store Free People. And she was consistent with her emailing and with her outreach. And when she was Exhibiting her first show, she the the free people buyer came by and said, "Oh, I recognize that brand." So she may not have read all of the email, but she recognized the brand from the consistency. And that's something else I would tell designers to do: is be consistent with your outreach. It's really important.
0: And what a good feeling for that for that um, client of yours to have her. come in and and say oh I know your name exactly oh so exciting that's great and I like that you brought up the dream client concept because that is totally not what I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say hone your artistic vision have a signature look you know I thought we were going down going to be going down the path of that when you're when you're talking about get really focused about your work you know I thought the next thing would be create a make sure you have a signature style and identifiable brand and all that, but really you went to the uh, to the end goal, which is the dream client and so having the dream client also helps you to refine your own look and your brand and what she wants and what you want to make for her and I think that uh, that might be a piece that might you haven't talked about much around here
1: oh well, I'm so glad i <laughs> I do think even you know it's having a, knowing who your dream client is and knowing your why you're doing your business are two of the most important things because it will help you with your marketing. But to your point, it also helps you with your designing because I do think that a lot of designers say, "Oh, well, I I really want to make this, but I don't. I want to make sure that everyone can afford something in my jewelry line." And that's a path that can really get a slip be a slippery slope for a lot of designers because they're trying to please everyone and that's just not a way to run your business.
0: Yeah, so looking who who you prefer to please, maybe as a way of putting it. And then finding that home, you know, a, a balance between what you want to make and who is buying it. Being maybe more realistic about that. And I think that maybe happens over time.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I do think too, I think having to your point, a signature style is important. If I walk up to, and this has happened to me before, I've walked up to a booth at an, at a uh, art show or craft fair, and there's just so much stuff, so much jewelry, and I can't tell who the designer is. They're all so different and there's no commonality. And it's, it's actually, I can't shop that. It doesn't call to me. And quite the opposite, when I come to a designer who has a very, dis, you know, their, their own look, their own take on, on uh, the, their pieces, it's really compelling. I see a story. And I think it's really important to be able to tell a story when you um, have your line and you're merchandising it. And it really becomes more cohesive and just reads better to the audience.
0: I think you have a unique ability to look at a collection of things and really home in on what is the story there. You know, and I think sometimes as makers, we are making a lot of stories all the time. (laughs) And so which one which one to share, I think, and which one to focus on, I think that's a great idea is to look at your work and see which ones create a more cohesive collection. It could be challenging though.
1: I don't have that creative <laughs> <team>. <laughs> So I, I'm i crafty, but I, maybe that's probably a good thing. I don't have it, but I, I definitely can see when something's presented, you know, how, where there's maybe some holes or where maybe there could be some editing also, because I've also seen, I've seen something, a collection be too small and I've seen a collection be overwhelmingly large. So, and that's where the, Having uh, some help or a, a support group, you know, people along the way to where you can bounce things off of and to, to help you with that is always helpful. In fact, I'll, I, a sidebar note here is that I was talking with Janine Pear, who's a jewelry designer who retired her jewelry brand after 25 years of making it. And she's very talented, beautiful work. And she was good friends with Alexis Batar. And he has just recently purchased his his business back and gotten it back. He had sold it. And one of the things that I loved when Janine shared with me that even Alexis, when he's designing a collection, brings somebody in to help him edit it because he's a designer. He can design all day long. It's what he sleeps, eats, breathes, all that stuff but he would bring somebody in to help him edit. And I think that's just very telling, no matter where you are in your business, how many, you know, how big your company is. We all need help.
0: Definitely, and different eyes. I think it sure helps to have other eyes on your work. Absolutely. And yeah, and you know, I think something that I always appreciate about you is when we're talking about all of this industry stuff and then you'll be like, so what are you doing for you? So Robin, what are you doing for you?
1: Gosh, uh, you know, I just mentally, I work out every day. And that is what I'm doing for me to keep my... That's a lot. It really does. And I just get outside whenever I can. Um, and something I'm doing, as I said earlier, I am going to meet up with some of, my, some of the ladies from my mastermind group weekend. And I, even though it's kind of, it's, it's fun but it's business but it's fun. <laughs> I'm really yeah. excited. I'm really excited about that. And what what makes me so happy is helping designers help helping creatives. So even though I, you know, I have my business, I consider that something I'm doing for myself because I just enjoy helping others. Sounds corny but true.
0: <laughs> no, I totally get it. I see that about you, and I think um I really I know that you've helped a lot of people and you've helped me just during this podcast. I learned quite a few things already, so I really appreciate it. Tell us where our listeners can find you.
1: Well, you can find me on Instagram at Red Gal. You can also find me on my website at redbootconsulting.com. If anyone here has questions about their business, I do an exploration call for it's a 20 minute expiration call. So if you're interested in um, having a free call, you're welcome to contact me and we can get something set up. But that's great. I love, um, I love hearing from designers and where they are and what they're interested in doing.
0: Well, I love hearing all of the different stories from designers you've worked with and things that you've done. And we have to know about your red boots. So what's going on with that girlfriend?
1: Well, I'm a Texan. I grew up in Texas. I did, I started writing when I was five. So it is part of my, funny enough, part of my shtick. And so I've been wearing cowboy boots kind of my whole life. But I found a pair of red boots, I don't know, 30 years ago. I I mean, a long time ago. And people started recognizing me because of my boots. And the next thing you know, I started getting them as gifts. So I have like eight pairs of red boots. Yes. <laughs> and love I it. love them all. And I do wear them. I think they're so comfortable. Even at trade shows, I'm wearing them. And when I was trying to decide on what to call my my business, my consulting business, I had a, a friend who's also a, a designer that I've worked with. And she gave me a once over and she's like, how about red boots? Because you're always in your red foods. So it kind of stuck. See, it's
0: that story. You brought in an editor. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It's great. Good job, Alexis (laughs) Batar. Oh, I mean, Robin Kramer. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a delight.
1: It's so fun. I could talk to you all day, really. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Okay.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to Jewelry Artist and connect with us on social media, interweave.com slash Jewelry Artist Podcast. Jewelry Artist is a production of Interweave and Golden Peak Media. It's hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker, with help from Tamara Hahneman and Tammy Jones. Our audio producer is Daisha Clay, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.